What's up everyone, welcome to episode 20 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm fantastic to be back on here, man. I'm looking forward to doing a good podcast. First proper week back at work for you, yeah? Uh, just, yeah, I've just had I've just had my first proper week back, yeah, bro. It's been... Um... Was it a stinger? You know what, mate? Actually, it's been all right. Um, surprisingly so. I've got some nice groups. Um, some kids that are convinced by the time they're 19 they'll be cleverer than me uh, by quite a distance. Um, there's some really nice, there's some really nice kids at the moment. I've got a, uh, a, a year, a, a top set year eight class that I did. I'm doing of mice and men with. Do you remember of mice and men? Ah, uh, yes, the old um, that guy that killed the mouse. Yeah, George and Lenny. Yeah, that's you know, it. Lenny, the uh, yeah, the migrant yeah. workers, all that shit. Um, not, just... not Austin Carlisle and Aaron Pauly. No, 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 that's a different one. Um... <laughs> so it opens up a book and it's, a, it's the fucking lyrics second and Sebring. I think I'd be we're very studying... enthusiastic. <laughs> we're, studying <laughs> this for you... we're studying this for your GCSEs this year, kids. Yeah, look at the metaphors in um, in, in the flood, please. <laughs> uh, report back to me. Uh, but yeah, so we're doing that at the moment and the kids are like already picking up on like some really like intricate stuff and things like that. So that, that was really, really positive. I heard I heard a twelve year old actually say to me today that um, they thought that George was described as shapeless in the opening chapter because it reflects that migrant workers had no structure in their lives in nineteen thirty six. This person's twelve, Christian. He's twelve years old. Twelve years old, I swear to God. That is ridiculously perceptive. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, it is. It is that way. It's like <laughs> Why have that not occurred to me in my five years of teaching and five years of life. Random twelve year old that's read this book for five minutes. About the window. I'm assuming he's in set one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a girl as it as it happened, because girls tend to be much better English. This is um we have these fancy things called express sets. Um, which is um which I'm not too I'm not too I'm not too convinced by yet personally, but um, there there she's very clever, yeah. Mate, I don't know why. Every time I start talking to you on this podcast, I start talking to you about your job. Like I don't have twenty three other hours of any given day to talk to you about your job. And twenty three <laughs> other topics that we're actually both here to talk about specifically. Yeah. Literally, every time we come on, I'm like, oh man, see how Sam's job's going. I couldn't literally. <laughs> I couldn't literally you actually talk to me about my job more on the podcast than you do in any other. <laughs> yeah. I, I could literally message you this. Yes, like literally twenty minutes ago. <laughs> how was work I today? Be like anecdote off the mic before this conversation starts. <laughs> Want to save some time. Sorry, listeners. Yes, we are. We well, are sorry. By the way, thank you for all the <laughs> We are sorry. Uh, this is a rock and metal podcast available on all podcast services, including YouTube. If you give us a, a subscription and a like on the video, that would mean a lot to us. Uh, last week's episode was a review on Fear Inoculum from Tool and Pressure by Wage War, which was basically Sam telling me how great Tool are and telling you why you should like Tool, which was very interesting to listen to. Uh, this week is gonna be a bit it's a bit of a quiet week actually. Not a lot going on uh, in the alternative music scene. So it's gonna be one of the shorter uh, episodes. <laughs> now I've said it. Um, we're gonna go through the news, we're gonna continue Sam's greatest metal album of all time list and this week's album review is being as an ocean's new album proxy and amino uh, an anemo story. Very very, very much looking forward to getting to the meat and bounds of that one with Sam. And at the moment, up on noise.co.uk, you can catch a review on the new Rome album called Smile Void. And there's an interview with the 2000 Trees and Arc Tangent organiser, James Scarlett, was done by uh, our colleague Dan Hillier while he was at the fest- uh, both festivals, actually. Um, really, really interesting interview, really well written, and a really classic insight into what it takes to run a festival what it takes to plan for a festival and the kind of mishaps that have happened previously and how to fix them when you're at a festival. Uh, really, really interesting. We recommend uh, you reading that one. Sam, outside of what we've been talking about this week, anything specific you've been listening to recently? Um, There's a I reason was... why I'm asking you that and I'll get to it in a second. Um, I've been listening to the Tool album since it came out over the last few weeks, but aside from that, I, I tend to listen to a... A rotating playlist at the moment. I've been recently listening to uh, Berry Tomorrow a bit. I've been enjoying those again. I've been sort of getting back in there. Same with the Mice and Men. Um, I've been digging back into Metallica because I saw the S&M thing. So I've been going back on that album. By the way, that set list is something that we should talk about at some point. They yeah. released that set list the other day yeah. uh, for that show. Um, but yeah, some few bits and bobs. Mainly, mainly metal stuff, unsurprisingly. Why would you ask? Uh, the reason why I asked, mate, is because I don't know whether you saw my tweet yesterday. I was like, you know what? I forgot how many absolute bangers Foo Fighters have done. 
Uh, yeah, fair and, play. Food fighters have. I just, I just chucked them on and just shuffle <laughs> in the background of while I was playing FIFA. And then I thought, what well, I haven't listened to in a while. And I stumbled across Toxicity by System of a Down. And Ooh. I chucked it on, which is one of my like favourite albums. And do you know what I realised, Sam? Um, Tool released an album in 2006. Yes, they did. And then it was a 13-year break until Fear Inoculum. Yes. Uh, System of a Down's break so far has been 14 years. If I had to ask you to think in your mind's eye, because people don't seem to be clamouring over the idea of a System of a Down album anywhere near as much as the idea of a new Tool album literally got the alternative music world up in arms. Because Hypnotise came out in 2005 by System of a Down, and there's been no new music since. If I had to ask you to guess, what, what why do you think it is that the alternative music doesn't seem to be as thirsty or as interested in new System of a Down music? Do you think it's literally just because they're not as good of a band and that's it? I don't think it's just that. I think it's because Tool have been teasing a new album for a decade. So while while System of a Down have literally, like, as far as for all intents and purposes, pretty much fucking vanished, haven't they? Uh, apart from when they brought when we went, when we had that conversation about their new material prior to them headlining download two years ago, it's it's been rarely a whisper. Whereas Tool have a set have been taking interviews on the state of their new album for what feels like five, six, seven, and the clamouring has led upwards. I think I think Tool have a have a more ardent fan base in the metal press. I think yeah. that's the case. No, I'm not saying they're a bigger band because I don't think that they are, but I think I think the majority of the people that do a lot of the um, a lot of the talking heads for louder sound, Kerrang, rock sound, and especially like Metal Hammer and Rock Sound uh, and Rolling Stone and, and and those sort of publications that drive a lot of the traditional narrative for uh, rock and metal. A lot of those are massive Tool fans, and I think and I think that just hap- I think that just helps. Something, I, something I thought maybe as well, is that if System of a Day announced a new album tomorrow, I could pretty much tell you right now what it's going to sound like, whereas with Tool, literally, I, I said this on the review, pressing play, and no one's got any idea what it's going to say. I mean, you've got, like, an idea, but I mean, thematically, in terms of what's actually going on in the record, it was anyone's guess until the first person pressed play on it right. Whereas with System, yes. where, where with System of a Down, I could tell you right now it's going to be a politically charged... Uh, like kind of vibrant, violent album with John Darmoyan ripping the shit out of the drums. Right, that's what it would be <laughs> for mm-hmm. forty minutes. And as great as that is, perhaps that I don't think new metal fans are as passionate about their dream bands as uh, progressive metal fans are. I think I think so. And the fact that Tool have been so hidden from every other element of the music world that they. They have turned into any release as an event because you don't hear anything else from them. And I mean, like we we spoke about it briefly the other day. I remember when I sent you that video of that screen? Yeah, that was amazing. With... Yeah. But if, if that's the sort of thing that's coming out with the album, then you're going to stir up some conversation about when the next one of that sort of product is going to drop, isn't it? You know what I mean? I think that's going to be a little bit a bit different. I think Tallman have just accidentally, I honestly think, somehow marketed themselves as the most interesting band on the planet. I don't yeah. know how they've done it, but I think that, I don't think it's deliberate, but I just think because of their personality and the way that they are, that's how it's become. And I think the media uproar around that has circled it, and that's where we are now, I think. You know what, since we're already on the discussion, let's just go straight into it. Uh, Tool have overthrown Tyler Swift for, for the number one spot on the Billboard charts in the US. Uh, massive, massive thing, that is. For a band of Tool's ilk, where <laughs> their art is the music and nothing else. Yes. Whereas Tyler Swift has built a brand of Tyler Swift, Tool's art is within their music and it goes no further. There's no there's no kind of ma- massive advertising campaign pushed with the new album. I mean, Maynard James Keenan went on Joe Rogan's podcast 
but he spoke very little about Tool on it. And it was more about what my nod James Keenan thinks about social media and that kind of stuff. It's actually a really, really interesting uh, interview. I would suggest anyone... Yeah, he's an intelligent guy, isn't he? Yeah, massively. And Joe Rogan's a fantastic interviewer as well. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd suggest anyone who's got any interest in Tool listening to that interview. It is very, very interesting. So this we're talking about an album here that has thrown off one of the number one pop stars in the world with... The only advertising campaign being just them saying, "Oh, by the way, new album's out on this date. Hope you all hope you all dig it." Um, it's looking at around about the two hundred seventy thousand equivalent album sale units mark. Um, that's comprised of two hundred forty-eight thousand physical sales, and I think uh, twenty-six point seven million streams equated to twenty-one thousand sales. So that's where they've got the number of two hundred seven thousand from, but. You know, I'm trying to think of recent memory, a band that have a band of our ilk that have sold that level of album copies. I just don't think it's been done in several years. Two hundred seventy thousand no. is absurdly is an absurdly a lot of album sales compared. I think Slipknot did thirty six thousand, and that's in the UK. But thirty six thousand in the UK, two hundred seventy thousand in the US. That is a a lot of album sales for yeah. this day and age. Yeah, I completely agree. They've, but like you're right, they've made it all about the product, haven't they? They've, and those they've, albums they've weren't cheap either. Brand. Those no, albums weren't cheap. No, no, of course not. And there are some editions of those albums that are like artifacts. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I massively respect all, but I think they're an aberration rather than the rule here, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's that speaks to the the mass of their impact. But I think. I think fair play. I think fair play. And I think Tyler Swift is the sort of artist that would expect to be top of the Billboard charts at any given moment. And I think it it's nice to try on a spotlight briefly on an underdog like, like Tool that have proven that focusing on your work and focusing on your songs and your songwriting can be just as impactful as the type of brand that Tyler Swift has built. Just like Slipknot, man, it's just great for the music industry on our side of the on our side of the water, because you've got a band like Tool, who I think Fear Inoculum is the longest song to have ever been in the top ten Billboard in terms of um, single length, I believe. Don't that's quote an me interesting on, statistic. Don't, don't quote interesting. me. Don't quote me on that. I think that's what I saw. But it's it's just it's another example of. Hey, we're still out, we're still out here. Still a massive fan base that are prepared for it, but massive props at all for achieving this because two hundred seventy thousand is an absolutely huge, absurdly large number from what I was expecting. So that's amazing. Uh, props to Tool. I think you know if they announce a UK tour, which I'm not sure whether they will. No, they've got a, they've got a US tour in the winter area of this year. If they announce a UK tour, you know what, mate? I think I'll get a ticket with you just to go and see. Just go and see what it's like to see them live because like I would I said, enjoy that. Like I said, I, I, I've I have never felt an atmospheric hook like I have like when I listen to Fear Inoculum as no, an album. As an album, I mean the way that album builds atmosphere is unlike anything I've ever heard and is really tremendous. So uh, massive fucking props to Tool there. Um, you mentioned something to me, Sam, that you wanted to talk about. So let's just talk about the uh, the S and M two set list. That they uh, that Metallica recently released. Yeah. Just taking a quick look over it. Um, what are your thoughts? This is um this is some brave choices in this. Opening on Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, well, they I, did that in the first. They did that in the first one. Right. Okay. So I'm not massively familiar with the first S and M apart from the songs where you've said you've got to listen to the S and M version of this song. Yeah, I think I think that live album I think that live album is a must listen to any metal fan because the mesh of those two things is unbelievable how well that works. Um just for the the, the ambition alone. But Does um yeah. the two they work as the opening song? I can't imagine that would you'd be... be you'd be you'd be surprised. Okay. Uh, because it because like if you think of when you go and see a classic show, right? Like an actual classic music event. Or the or even the theatre or something like that, there's something called the overture at the start where the Um, There is a passage of music that establishes what's known as the themes that are going to happen later on. Um, So to open with an instrumental is actually a a nod to the structure of a classic concert. 
right. of which Metallica are a part of. So as as an appropriation, that works for the for the audience and the type of gig that they're doing. On top of that, it starts off with the orchestra, with and then James Hetfield playing this clean guitar, and then builds up um, instrumentally to this final finish that eventually goes into. Um, um, a, a much bigger Metallica song with vocals and stuff. Honestly, it really works. I, prom- I promise you, it really works. And opening with that again on the anniversary of it coming out, I think is very fitting. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, so I can see why it, it makes sense for them to go with that one now. Um, for whom the bell tolls coming up second. I mean, is yep. it, w- would would there be a better song to come second in any gig ever? No. Um, but day that never comes third again. Um, I've got you know, strange. I I, I wouldn't expect that really yeah i understand i understand that i think there's a lot there's a lots of shifts here but it's not a normal metallica gig in that sense of like whether they play normal songs or not i think they've they've got to play stuff that they have tried out that works that with works the with the symphony yeah that yeah. works with the symphony yeah you're absolutely right and i can see that with day that never comes with the way that it builds and, and all that sort of stuff and how it how it meshes together that was the same with outlaw torn which was like an underrated deep cut from reload that actually works really well with the orchestra and James Hetfield's voice. I'm excited to hear All Within My Hands, which is a St. Anger album track. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. With, with, with a real snare drum, but also a symphony orchestra. That sounds mental to me. There's lots of like random little bits in here as well. This is a very special show for a fan, from a fan perspective. I'm also really excited to hear Highland on Fire with a symphony orchestra. That will be beautiful. I'm looking forward to Moth Into the Flame, and also Unforgiven 3. Yes, um, I've... I read a, I read a, uh, a classic rock review of the gig um, a few days ago, and I said that the Unforgiven Three features band members not playing instruments and actually joining as vocal members, like as a choir oh. element to it. Oh. So it's going to be really interesting to witness that and just see how everything's brought together. I'm very excited. I'm trying to resist watching clips on YouTube that yeah, are already started to leak. Please don't, please don't. Yeah, I'm just going to save it entirely. Um, we're, going, we're going in a month and I want us to experience it fresh, man. Yeah, 100%. And it's actually a month today, that's crazy. Um, but um, yeah, I'm very excited. And I think they know they're set and they're sound better than anybody else. And they know what works. They've done this before. And I, 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 do, tr- I do trust them implicitly on this. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited to hear how it works. Final five songs before we move on. Wherever I may, wherever wherever I may roam, one master puppets. Nothing else matters than to Sandman. I mean, what else so do you want? Right, what, what else do you want, man? This not the bad, band not is absurd. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we go in a month's time. Uh, that's going to be a really special evening, man. I cannot fucking wait for that one. So, Sam, have you heard much about Fred Durst's movie with John Travolta in? I've heard a, a specific financial element yeah, of the um, story. It did surprisingly badly, actually. Um, surprisingly. Well, have you seen the trailer? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay, I'm not going to say anything about the trailer. Right, we're just going to talk about it on the next episode. I'm going to send you the trailer once this episode ends, and oh, you God. can and you can just go, you can watch that trailer and then chat to me about it on the next podcast that we do. Uh, it, uh, the the film only took $3,153 across 52 cinemas in America. I mean, that is low, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's got John Travolta in yeah, it. That's what I mean. Like, even if even if you think, oh, no, Fred Durst, get out of it. Even if you you, you despise Limp Bizkit, John Travolta, he's like one he's like one of the most famous actors. If you named, if you said, oh, name me 20 really famous American actors, John Travolta would probably be in the first 10 I spew out. Um, so, man, yeah. um, I'm not entirely sure what's happened here. When you watch the trailer, it might make a bit more sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even imagine what this film is. But, mate, you know, I would have gone... I would have gone to to see this film for intrigue alone because it's been directed by Fred Durst, who John Travolta said is a really good director. Um, whether you think that after watching the trailer or not, I will leave up to you. But I just wanted to mention that to see whether you had heard about it. Um, I don't know whether you remember anything about this. Do you remember when Limp Bizkit was supposed to have an album coming out called uh, Stampede of the Disco Elephants? Yeah. They've been talking about that? that Supposedly... Um, Wes Borland last November said that plans were being put in place for the band to get back in the studio to finish recording it. Man, that album has been talked about for like six years. What has 
I don't know what has gone on in the recording process there. Or maybe the fact that they wanted to be something of a, of a band that, that, that are missed. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's important yeah. for bands to make themselves missable. Because uh, so, then when they come back, it means a lot more, right? Um, the film yeah, was called The film was called The Fanatic. If it ever does... Uh, you know, it might be cinemas in the UK already, actually. But if it ever does hit out of here, I think I might drag you just to just for my own curiosity. Because uh, it, it is quite morbid, the curiosity that I have to see whether what this film is actually like. But I will send that trailer to you and we can talk about it uh, next week. Well, on the next yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm even in to go and see it in the cinema. We can review it on the podcast because I'd be, um, <laughs> I'd be all about whatever conversation spews. Yeah, me. that review would be interesting, mate. From taking from this trial. Is is there anyone's career that has become more outdated more quickly, John Travolta or Fred Durst? <laughs> is that the is that the reason? Because both for Fred Durst and John Travolta twenty years ago were household names. Fred Durst, Fred Durst, or is it? Yeah, literally 20 years ago, was 1999, so that whole period. Yeah. 25 years ago, John Travolta was in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So, what what the hell has happened? Has the 25 years been more unkind to uh, of the two of them? It's it's Maybe that's why they're banding together. Do you think they found each other in some like lonely, sad sack Hollywood party? It was called Club 2001. <laughs> <laughs> they're both the only two people left in there. Yeah, Fred's still wearing his red hat that he's never taken off. <laughs> John Travolta's still got that moustache from taking a pen in one, two, three. <laughs> well, guess we guess we've got to work together then. Um, yeah, if that if that comes into the cinemas over here, it's a must that we're going to go and see it because I, I am actually massively intrigued. And uh, for the record, uh, I really like John Travolta as an actor, and I really love Limp Bizkit. So the mesh of those two together, I'm at, at the very least intrigued. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sam, do you require a new Bon Jovi album? <laughs> no. <laughs> how, about a, how about a Bon Jovi album that carries socially conscious themes? Oh, stop it, Bon. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and this is wild, yeah, uh, because the the title of the band's new album uh, has supposedly been revealed. Um, yeah, mate, Bon Jovi, new albums. I mean... Are you a fan? I, I don't think you've ever actually really mentioned much of a following I mean, you've got. I mean, I, no, I wouldn't say I was a fan, but I mean, everyone likes the same four Bon Jovi songs that everyone else likes, don't they? Like, there's the, there's the, there's the, there's, there's the one about the cowboy, and then there's the one about living on a prayer, and then, and then there's the, the one about being shot through the heart that Atreya covered, and then. I quite like the um, fuck the other one. Keep the faith. That's all right. The bass lines get pretty good at the start, but I've got the best off on my iPod. I never choose to listen to it. I never like. Oh, you know what? Get me through the day. A bit of John Bowie because I'm not like a 47 year old housewife in lives in Minnesota. There's quite a groundswell for Bon Jovi to headline download uh, because. No stop. Well, I don't think he slash they have done it before. No. Um, and they would, you know, as the list of classic rock bands that we can <laughs> pull out of their cesspits to come and, <laughs> to come and, to come and play music for two hours continues yeah. to shrink. I guess Bon Jovi would There's be no one other of choice. them. There's no choice. We yeah. should like consider hiring any, any, any bands from other generations. We must go back to this classic rock dungeon. Um, the album is going to be called Bon Jovi 2020, and about the album, uh, he said it's an election. It's an election year, so why not? I couldn't do any worse. Is Bon Jovi for president? <laughs> um, he he said that basically the lyri- lyrically the album is going to focus uh, on more socially conscious themes. Which you know what, mate? I'm really interested. I've got to oh, say, well. I, I think again, a bit like that Fred Durst and John Travolta film that I was that I was talking about, which is quite obviously going to be quite bad. Yeah. It's morbid curiosity more than anything else. If someone's going to seriously sit down and track the political machinations of the next Bon Jovi album, then they've got <laughs> way too much time on their hands, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I just, man, uh, can you just stick to writing hypothetical songs about couples that can't afford to live together, like everybody else wants you to, please? I mean. Look, I'm at, oh, whatever. I like. I respect his um, 
intention to use his music as a medium to affect social change but i deride at the idea that any bon jovi album will affect said social change when his marketplace appears to be like middle-aged women yeah i don't don't mean to sound like rude or ignorance here but not a stereotypically politically active group by the way this is supposedly going to be a follow-up to the to the 2016 album this house is not for sale i didn't even know that album existed and I don't know whether that was me just ignoring this element of music or whether the fact of Bon Jovi aren't as relevant outside of those classic A-list songs that you've listed out to me. So, yeah, yeah um, there's going to be... One Bon Jovi a... album a decade ago was like, Have a Nice Day. had like a red cover on it. That was yeah. it. I, you, you know, pretty much echoing your sentiments. Let's see what this what comes of this. I'll be, again, morbid curiosity once we actually get there. For the time being, my eyebrows are massively raised at this. But it does, you know, the concept of a new album coming out next year, it does add a bit of credence that maybe um, they would be selected for download. And you know what? If they're be a head- last you know what? If they were headlining the Friday night um, or the Sunday night, and there's no other bands on, young bands that are massively into, you'd turn up, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd, get, you'd, you'd have a few drinks, you'd sing. I'll tell you what, like, I, I was at V1 Fest a few weeks ago and I saw a Bon Jovi tribute. Um, yeah, sing-alongs. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you can't help it, honestly. Like, he plays, like, Bad Medicine and Living on a Prayer and all that sort of stuff. And you know the songs, like, intrinsically, yeah. you know them. It's like Robbie Williams. You don't yeah. listen to Robbie Williams, but everyone knows the same four Robbie Williams songs. Yep, good point. Just, do you know what I mean? And, and I think... I think he'd actually be well received. He, oh, he would be. I've got no doubt. I think it would be seen as a really, really great booking. Because even though he's 437, it's new and it's fresh for download, isn't it? And that's what, fuck me, they are they're, crying they're out better, for. They're better performers as well in the last few years than the bands that have put on. Because they're, they're, without the, cause the lack of drugs and massive alcohol abuse that have, have not infected Bon Jovi... They keep themselves in good shape. They sound pretty decent live. They definitely sound better than Def Leppard. Oh, well, if they were worse than Def Leppard, Matt, I'd be fucking asking for a refund before I buy my ticket. It's just like, well, Bon Jovi played a few shows a couple of years ago and he was playing like the Rico Arena, the Molyneux. Like, they're, they're touring big places recently. They haven't been dug out of the grave, which I quite like, like Ozzy was, where he's just been pulled out from whatever, like, to use your word, to whatever cesspit he's been taken from. And... I think you know, man. I would, I would, would not mind. Honestly, if I was at field, have a few beers. Like, what else are you gonna do? Like anyone wouldn't scream back the lyrics of "Living on a Prayer." Yeah, exactly. At twenty exactly. to eleven on a on a Sunday or Friday. I doubt they'd put them on a Saturday, but on a Sunday or Friday night to download. Like you wouldn't scream back the lyrics of "Living on a Prayer" when you've had a few beers. Come on, there. Like it everyone would be doesn't do that at every bar around the country every yeah. weekend. You mentioned Ozzy Osbourne. And it's funny oh, you yes. did that. So we talk about Ozzy quite a lot on this podcast. Uh, and quite we, a newsworthy we, fella. We do take the piss a bit, but I just want to say for the record that I massively respect his contributions to music and, and the the genre and the sub-genres that branch off of it that I love pretty much more than anything else on earth would not exist if it wasn't for him and obviously uh, the rest of Black Sabbath. So we're going to talk about... Now, Ozzy Osbourne's song that he's done with Post Malone. Might yeah. as well start this, Sam, by just asking you outright, do you like Post Malone? I don't dislike Post Malone, but I wouldn't say that I'm over the moon about his music either. Like, he's all right. I fall apart to a decent tune, but that's the extent of which I know and enjoy him. Right, okay. Me you like Post Malone? I, I do, actually. I think cool. I, I think of the artists that flood the mainstream and he is absurdly mainstream like he he is uh, he has reached a level of popularity that is pretty much just absurd like i tell you what i'm just running through his spotify now just just out of curiosity uh the song that he did for spider-man into the spider-verse which i still need to see um has got one billion streams on spotify one billion rockstar has got 1.6 billion streams on spotify that's um that's that is, absurd. That is two point six billion streams on two songs. That's the entirety of China. He that's how big he's he's absolutely like unfathomably large. 
So I, basically, he's had a new wow. album. He had a new album come out on Friday called Hollywood's Bleeding. I haven't actually listened to all of it in its entirety yet. Although I am quite interested because I think of all the of all the artists, as, as I was saying, that flood the mainstream. He is one of the most artistically interesting, and there is a true sense of of straight up just like writing to his music that I actually kind of appreciate. Like yeah. like all artists that are as big as he is, he's a walking meme, people take the piss, all that kind of stuff. But he's like proof that publicity is good publicity, regardless of the context. Yeah. So this song, it's called Take What You Want. It's got Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott on it. Um, are, you, are you familiar with Travis Scott? Yeah, I like Travis Scott. Yeah, I think I he's th- an excellent producer. I, th- I thought you'd mentioned to me before that you like Travis Scott. I- I'm not really familiar with uh, Travis that Scott. Work, the work he's done with Drake on his, on his recent stuff is very impressive. Really nice if you're into that sort of thing. So, this is Post Malone, who is, I wouldn't call him a pop star, but he's certainly one of the biggest artists in mainstream music by any kind of metric that you're looking to judge it by. Post Malone would be by the top. And he's got Ozzy Osbourne on a song called Take What You Want on this album. So, straight away, I'm thinking, you know what, that's great, man, because, you know, Post Malone is somewhat of a metal fan as well. I've seen several videos of him, like, rocking out or enjoying metal songs one of the main ones i've seen is the a day to remember um but he's picked up ozzy who is one of the absolute legends of music in general <clears> with, his con- <throat> with his contributions and put him on this song and you know what ozzy sounds absolutely great on this yeah he really does ozzy sounds brilliant honey in fact it's the best i've heard ozzy sound on a song in a long long time he sounds brilliant on this I'm yeah, not sure does. how much that's down to Travis Scott's production <laughs> or whether that was just whether it's Ozzy being like, you know what, I find this actually really interesting. I, I really want to do this rather than the same yeah. the, the same types of metal that I've it's been It's certainly in his key, years. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's perfectly uh, situated for him. I don't know whether you've seen this, but online there is a bit of a funny kind of <laughs> uh, pretense running around where people are putting on Twitter... Oh, fair play to Post Malone for getting this unknown <laughs> guy Ozzy Osbourne on the uh, yeah, on, on the I album. I think some people have misunderstood that as genuine and it's not sarcasm. Because I've seen so many people be like, oh my God, are they taking the piss? Uh, actually, yes, they are taking the piss. It's pretty obvious that it's sarcasm if you just read between the lines. However, Sam, I really like this song. I think this is great. This is one of the best things I've heard Ozzy do in years. What about yourself? Yeah, I really enjoy it, and I like that he's sort of stretching himself out. I don't see it as a cheesy money grab at all, because it's nope. a decent song. Nope. Uh, and um, side note, that fucking guitar solo. Yeah, it's, gr- it's great, yeah. I even googled who who, who, who played it. It's a guy called, uh, <laughs> it's a guy called Tim Watt, uh, who's just like a, an American musician that they've just sort of plucked out of the air, but fucking hell, sick. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really good, and I think, you know what, I, I know it sounds really silly, but... They've they've structured the song for Ozzy, yeah, well, and they that. haven't got Ozzy Osbourne singing a chorus to like a traditional hip hop or Post Malone song. Like it's got elements like Travis Scott's produced it, so it's got that backbeat and it's got obviously Post Malone sort of. I don't know, it doesn't really rap, does he? Post Malone just this sort of singing rapping hybrid, doesn't he? Yeah, and he does that, and and that's fine. But it it lends itself nicely to 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 black uh, to Ozzy Osbourne's voice. It sounds quite dark, like it's atmospheric. I, I've got no problem with this whatsoever. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention it with you uh, because I think this is one of the great Frankenstein's of our genre that has been done in recent time. What I mean by that is someone who's got absolutely pretty much nothing to do with metal picking someone up from metal and putting them and meshing those two species together. And yes. I think this is this is one of the better examples that I've ever heard. This is much better than anything you will have heard on any of the Pop Goes Punk albums. Uh, and I, I think, you know what, man? Um, this is the kind of stuff that we, that we as a genre or as a, as a subsector of music need. Uh, I've recently read that Bring Me The Horizon are going to be writing a song with Halsey. I'm all about it. It's the kind of exposure that, that we need to, to shine further lights on the genre and man that's how people potentially find other bands of a similarity now i am not expecting black sabbath to gain any fans from ozzy osbourne doing a 30 40 second 
vocal take on a Post Malone song. But you know what? It's a start. Just like Metallica headlining Glastonbury in 2016, I think. I could be corrected on that. Uh, just like Metallica headlining Glastonbury whenever they did it. It's a start. It eventually ended up being there's a heavy metal stage at Glastonbury now. And maybe this could be a start for something that could become something else further down the line. That could shine more light on metal and alternative music in general. I'm all about this. I completely agree, mate. So am I. So, moving on, Sam, to your greatest metal album of all time list. We are starting to break the top 50 barrier. So, it's going to be soon that we get, well, I'd imagine about five or six episodes, that we get into the top 20 category. So, I just wanted to, I'm not sure whether I've already announced on the podcast what our plans were, but I will just uh, make it clear now. Once we get into the top 20, uh, we will be doing, on every podcast, instead of you running through three or four of the albums, we'll be doing an actual section dedicated just to the album so for example whatever number 20 is we will do a section dedicated just to number 20 and then once we get into the top 10 we will do episodes entirely dedicated to that one album so for example <laughs> i've got i've got i've got no doubt that um vulgar display of power by pantera will be in the top 10 i might be wrong or right there but i'm just knowing you how well i know you'll assume it's in there um so we would do an entire episode specifically on a vulgar display of power so that's my plans um going forward for that so that's not going to be in too too far in the future's time so starting this week's list off so we are now um going from number 49 to number 45 right so <clears throat> what i've done here is there's a few albums in here that there are a few albums by a lot of bands that need to be in this list um in general, there's the Sabbath have released a sort of five or six albums really that you could you could litter throughout any greatest metal albums list. And, and among the research they've done and the listening listening that I've taken, it's it's hard to disagree with a lot of those. That being said, um, for me it was quite difficult to sort of separate a couple of them. Um, so there's the three bands that this particularly afflicts. Um, one of them is Maiden, one of them is Slayer, one of them is Sabbath. Um, those three bands. Slayer between 1983 and 1991, Maiden between 1982 and 1992, and Sabbath between 1970 and like 1977. Each of those al- each of those bands through that period released around six or seven albums each, massively prolific, that were all considered very good and and very great in their own right during that period of time. Now, I haven't been able to. Uh, thinking about racking my brains i haven't been able to some some of these albums i've been able to unable to separate and some albums i don't think are any more influential than other because they're released right next to each other by the same band and are equally good in certain aspects and equally good in terms of musical quality and have had different effects slightly but really they're they're part of a, a band's overall impact on metal so as a result um 49 and 48 have put together and so i've done the same with 45 and 46 because you'll learn someone to get to these albums but these albums i feel have had almost an identical impact but i couldn't leave the other out just because it's right next to another very good album by the same band a that's year fair. and a half prior that's you know what fair. i mean yeah that's fair so at 49 and 48 in that order i've got black sabbath with sabotage and black sabbath with master of reality um so sabotage is black sabbath's album from 1976 which is their fifth studio album and master of reality is their 1971 album which is their third by the way their first album was in 1970 so they produced three albums in like a year. That's man, that is absolutely mental to me because had did the wheels pick up pace for Black Sabbath literally immediately? Was yeah, everyone was, much. Ev- was everyone on board from the get go? And they were like, oh my god, this completely new. I've never heard music like this before. It's scary, but it's awesome. Yeah, and then yeah. literally just move forward from there. Bang, bang, bang. Well, to, to answer to answer your question. Um, Black Sabbath's first album came out in 1970. Black Sabbath Paranoid came out in 1971. Uh, then got them on sort of the radio when they even they even played on um, the old Grey Whistle Test, which is a massive like top top of the pops equivalent sort of stuff. Um, and if you look at the album reception a year after they came out, Master of Reality peaked at number five on the UK albums chart, sold two million copies in the USA. This is a year after the band were even out and sort of sort of really famous. Um, and he's considered, he's considered one of the um, one of the forefront albums that they released in that period. 
double platinum by like 1976. Um, it was the only, it was a top 10 album in the US, which they actually didn't do since uh, 13, which is like 42 years later. So Master of Reality wow. was probably their commercial peak, but it happened so quickly. Um, yeah, so Master of Reality is the better album of the two. So I'll start with Sabotage very quickly. Sabotage was their fifth album. Um, Boy, which uh, followed Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and came before Techno Ecstasy, which was rubbish, um, and was their last great album. Uh, so five Sabbath albums. Um, you go Black Sabbath's original, Paranoid, Master of Reality, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Sabbath and Sabotage. It, within five years, Sabbath released five like epic albums for their um, for their reception and stuff like that. This feature, um, this one features Hole in the Sky. Symptom of the Universe, The Thrill of It All, Am I Going Insane, um, was considered incredibly influential at its time, even peaked at number seven in the UK in the United Kingdom, but was it's really known as the fifth best of five Sabbath albums. Um, the reason that I've, I've put Master of Reality here is because above, above, above Sabotage is because Master of Reality is widely regarded as the first like influential album on the whole stoner rock and doom metal um genre a uh, majority of people that listen to this album consider it the the first stepping stone to a lot of bat to a lot of different genres including grunge latterly uh, because of the sort of deep sludgy sound that sabbath found on on master of reality if it is to sort of children of the grave and songs off that they really set the tone for bands like smashing pumpkin Soundgarden, and even like nirvana um creating this bigger sort of heavier sound uh, because it was on Into the Void, Tony Army famously down-tuned his guitar um, in an effort to reduce string tension, making the guitar less painful to play. Um, but he was actually one of the first metal musicians to actually down-tune the guitar, um, Man, which is fascinating. Which is which which when you consider the the amount that that happens now, yeah, to, um, that Sabbath already created essentially the first riff, and then the first example of down-tuning, and then it sort of spawned heavy metal at large, and then then their third album spawned doom metal and maybe grunge if you take it all the way back it's it's about as influential as a single album can be considering it's not one of their three or four absolute banging albums it just speaks to the influence that sabbath had which is why sabbath should be considered in hallowed grades because they did all this within five years yeah uh from 1970 to 1975 the grave all these five albums that were just honestly tremendous just from at that point in time from 70 to 75 from a metal standpoint they were fairly untouchable so i've put those two albums together um because i couldn't decide um which one i thought was better overall from a taste point of view but also i mean one came out at number five in the charts one came out at number seven they both sold around about the same sort of music same amount of copies they both got three or four really influential tunes on it i thought you know what pile them together and talk about the band's impact as a whole during that period, and that's what I've decided to do there. Makes complete sense. Um, is it Iron Maiden or Slayer up next? Um, neither. This is the one band in between. So I've got um, 48 and 49 at Sabbath, and there's this 47, and then there's 45 and 46, which is another Oh, sorry, because you said that there was a ba- there were bands that yeah, released albums there's, there's, in a short there's, there's space, Maiden, and one of them was Maiden, 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 Maiden later on. Right, okay. Yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. So... Uh, this one at number 47 is Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth. Um, this is one of the three great Megadeth albums. There are three excellent Megadeth albums, and I'll fight anyone that disagrees with me. Um, but internationally regarded, it's Rust in Peace, Countdown to Extinction, and Peace Sells, but who's buying? Uh, they came out in 86, 1990, and Countdown to Extinction came out in 1992. Um, it's the most well-known lineup of Dave Mustaine, Marty Friedman, Dave Ellison and Nick Menza. It features the incredibly influential and brilliant, in my opinion, song Symphony of Destruction, um, which is one of the all-time great, simple Megadeth riffs. Um, it famously sort of was, was, was criticised as a copycat of the Black Album because they simplified their sound in a similar way to... Um, to simplify in the sound of the way that Metallica did on, on the Black Album, and obviously because of the history between those two bands, they didn't tag that lightly. Dave Mustaine <laughs> <laughs> um, being accused of copying Metallica didn't really sit well with him at the time, but it, but the bassist responded was like, look, I mean, they opened the door, and we're obviously the next band to step through that doorway, and that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, 
but it also features like some really interesting tunes as well, like Sweating Bullets, Skin of My Teeth, Foreclosure of a Dream are all on this album. And it's just an example that Megadeth for about a five year, five to seven year period between sort of 86 and 1993 are, in my opinion, the third of the big four. But for this period of time, you can put some of the riff work here and some of the guitar solos and some of the songwriting up against any any metal album during any metal period. I think they're a very underrated band, all things considered. And I think this album is is fantastic. Um, you listen to um, Symphony Destruction and, and, skin, and Sweating Bullets. Um, you'll be impressed by the lyricisms, um, the, the humour, and as well as the, the musicianship, which I think it really sets them apart. They're a razor sharp band, and I think this is their, their third greatest album. It definitely deserves a mention in this list. And last two for this episode? I've piled together Slayer South of Heaven and Slayer Season in the Abyss. Here we go. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about this. Um, if we just put these two albums together, like I have done, can I just read you the complete dis- um, the complete track listing of both albums, mate? Please. Um, because um, Safe of Heaven came out in 1988 and had to follow Raining Blood, which um, how how do you do that? Yeah. Feels like like legitimately. Yeah. Uh, the band quickly realised that they couldn't just do Raining Blood Part Two because it would just sound like a weird rip off. So they went slower and yeah. went nastier, went down tuned, went darker. Uh, and then did it, and then sort of picked it back up with um, Seasons of the Abyss in terms of the pace. But just imagine this as a double album. This is what the band completed over a three-year period. They've already just done um, Raining Blood. But South of Heaven, Silent Scream, Live Undead, Between the Cookie Cross, Mandatory Suicide, Ghost of War, Ruby Between the Lines, Cleanse the Soul, Dissident Aggressor, Spill the Blood, War Ensemble, Blood Red, Spirit in Black, Expendable Youth, Dead Skin Mask, Hallowed Points, Guns of Society, Temptation, Born of Fire, Seasons in the Abyss. If Slayer played tomorrow, 12 tracks off the, the songs I've read would probably be in that set list. Yeah. Like, it, the, the, the Rain in Blood, uh, South of Heaven, uh, Seasons in the Abyss trio is the greatest trio in thrash metal. Like, just yeah. purely thrash metal. Yeah. Um, They're just incredible songs. Incredible songs. And if you didn't get into Slayer because you thought they were too fast and too aggressive uh, on Rain in Blood, one stupid but um if you didn't really like that that's fine south of heaven sort of gets you covered with the slow heavy monotonous dark metal and season of sort of combines them both together because I, I think spirit in the black's brilliant i thought war ensemble's incredible if you want to become a metal drummer this is the drumming on war ensemble um dead skin mask is absolutely fantastic i think just some of the riffs here some of the solo some of the the instrumentation um and just putting them all together oh and by the way rick rubin produced all three albums um consecutively so the production is just airtight um honestly feel free to add something in here but as these two albums i mean just as a a contribution to metal just absolutely fantastic well i just think that slayer's legacy lives within raining blood and for good reason because it's the greatest thrash metal album of all time but I, i think more of more cement was added around their like their legacy with songs like South of Heaven and with Mandatory Suicide. Because yes. they, that was that was Slayer not playing at 120 beats per minute but still being the heaviest band in the in the late eighties. Uh, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, because I think that man, I, I said to you I saw Slayer's last ever UK show at download and the way they dropped from South of Heaven into Angel of Death was just really, really amazing. But you could just see when those lights went blue and South of Heaven was was coming in, that opening riff, which just... It's one of the most memorable riffs in the history of thrash metal. Yes. It just got everyone, like, that just managed to up from a, a set that was as wild as Slayer's last ever UK show would be, just managed to up the ante again. And then when you move on to seasons in the abyss the title track on that on that record is something that you know you'd struggle to you'd struggle to expect from slayer at that point but it, 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 it's still a really intelligently written song and dead skin mask on seasons in the abyss is will just be a classic uh thrash metal song for forever and i love blood red as well blood red is an absolute banger and obviously yeah. war, war ensemble a, a download as as tom O'Roy was screaming war ensemble uh the fire was screaming up around him surrounding him it was just absolutely awesome um 
and basically my my big thing about Slayer is that they just as you said instead of just trying to do Raining Blood 2.0 they expanded a little bit while maintaining all of their just such ferocious aggression and these two albums are really really classic albums that will uh, just live on forever and I think that there's so much to be said for Slayer's ability to write songs even as even like Cleanse the Soul and uh, Behind the Crooked Crooked Cross, which are you know somewhat filler tracks on the album, still for most of the bands you'd put that as classic as classic songs because that's how good Slayer were in the late eighties, early nineties. So two really really special albums, man. Cracking choices. Um, surprised not higher up on the list, but I, I do understand why because I think we're getting close to there now. Um, just just uh, um, my curiosity now. Do you think a Scenes in the Abyss was the last great album? Um, no, I. Hmm. I, I really. Go, think, I go God hates us all. I think that's a great album as well. I really like. I don't know. I might maybe overanalyzing it. I think Christ Illusion's really good, uh, but maybe not great. Christ so Illusion perhaps, was definitely the last good album. Yeah. Uh, yes, then I think God hates us all is probably their last great album. With a great with great songs on it, yeah. but I'm always so biased. It doesn't have Dave Lombardo on it. it. Makes me really sad. Yeah, yeah, I get it, man. But um, <laughs> just like God hates us all, man. Uh, Disciple is just such a banger. I know, it's incredible, so incredible. Tom and I are talking about it. Who's who's grew up as a devout Catholic? Every time they ask him, so you, you grew up a Christian? He's like, yeah. So why do you release really an album to someone called God Hates Soul? He's like, it's a great fucking title. <laughs> I mean, I do love that. That's so defiant. <laughs> so defiant. So, uh, album review time, Sam. Here we go. Right. Yes. Being as an ocean, the new album is called Proxy and Amino. And, and okay, I've said that twice now. And Anemo Story. Um, I've played Being as an Ocean around you a few times. Uh, you have? I, I play their song called Alone around you a few times. And you're like, oh man, great this is. And I'm like, mate, you should listen to this band. They're really, really special. Um, I... You do actually say that exact thing every time. I stumbled across Being As An Ocean a few years ago. Um, me and our friend Leon were getting into a band called La Dispute, who were like spoken word, like hardcore band. And that's kind of how I stumbled across Being As An Ocean. Around the mid-2010s, they were a band that Joel Quartuccio, who is um, the somewhat lead vocalist, was the spoken word guy. And then you'd have Michael McGough, who is the clean vocalist, I don't like using the word clean vocalist, that's the best way I can think of to describe him, uh, that would go in and do the choruses. And they managed to build this really, like, really intelligently emotive, but really huge, massive sounding choruses that would be engulfed by Joel's really intelligent spoken word lyrics. And I would recommend anyone to just uh, go on YouTube and just type in uh, the lyrics for The Poets Cry For More by Being As An Ocean. It's on the second album, How We Both Wondrously Perish. Uh, but it's so intelligently written by Joel, who is massively intelligent in in, in general, because I've seen very uh, various interviews with him. Um, and then they released a self-titled album, which I, when I listened to it, I was very much like, right, okay, the wheels are coming off a bit here. Because third album in, Joel's really clever, and I really like his style of writing, but it's quite clear to see now that we're getting to the point where they have done as much in post-hardcore as they can do and still shine as a as a band that can be up there swinging fists with the top bands in the genre. And then they went quiet for a while and they had a massive dispute with the label. And then in 2017, they released an album called Waiting for Morning to Come which was a much more expansive rock, uh, synth-led, techno kind of album, and I fucking loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. It was the step forward that I think they absolutely needed to take, although I didn't expect them to take it. There were songs on there called Dissolve, uh, Black and Blue, and OK, which were just absolutely astonishingly well-written. And then on the deluxe version, there was the song called Alone, which is the one I play to you quite often, of which you always say, mate, this song is great. It's got the massive chorus in. Um, so now that, that was uh, Beings and Ocean kind of like giving an idea of where they were looking to go. And now here we are. Proxy and an email story is the amalgamation of what Waiting for Morning to Come was trying to be. I'm so in love with this album. I think this is just 
really, really brilliant. It's so different to anything else we've reviewed this year. It's so different to anything else I've heard this year. The way it plays about with its like kind of sci-fi rock uh, and backdrops of emotive melodic choruses is just absolutely brilliant. The vocal play between Joel and Michael is as good as it's ever been. There are just moments on this album which play to your emotions unlike pretty much anything I've heard in a long, long time. A song called Brave, which has this really like quiet, uh, delicate chorus, but just so impactful in the way it's delivered. Um, and then you've got the songs like Find Our Way, which has got the big vocal production on the chorus. There's Skin as well, another song I absolutely love. And then you've got the songs that like really play into the techno elements, like See Your Face, uh, Watch Me Bleed. Man, I even love the interludes on this album. Um... I'm going to go a bit more in-depth into why I love the album so much in a, in a minute. But I'm going to pass back over to you. Because this isn't necessarily what I would have selected to say that I think Sam would like this. So, are you are you into this album at all? I'm relatively into it, but not as... I'm not as infatuated as it with yourself. Right, as okay. As so yourself are. That is, that is fair, because you're, you're less into this... You're less into this type of music than I, than I am what 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 do you like what do you dislike I, I like I like the guitar work I like the um I like what I like the balance of it when it gets when I feel that the balance is struck right for me as a listener um so I think the highlight of this is the track find our way um the massive chorus but it's 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 not just the chorus that sets it away for me it's the the rhythmic combination of the the, the the sort of the steady drum beat alongside that clean riff and the chorus is perfectly weighted but also not overdone and flits in and out where the sci-fi stuff that you referenced and the electronica element to the music acts as a complement not as a replacement for some of the music where i tune out personally is where i feel that, that balance is lost slightly uh, there's, a, there's a couple of there's a couple of songs here that I'm not necessarily convinced that the that the combination of the electronics and the the actual the, the band itself works as well. I think I think sometimes it can be a little bit um, overbearing, and sometimes I think the reverse, where sometimes I think that the choruses or the pauses for the verses aren't as impactful as I would like when the Excuse me. When the electronics is t uh, taken away, I think this is an accomplished album. I think this is a really interesting album, and I think this is a really expansive album. And I really respect them for going in this direction, and I really respect them for not going in the "let's just do what's got us here before" sort of attitude. It has a little bit of ammo about it. Um, it has a little bit yeah. of ammo about it in the, in the way that the songs are constructed. Uh, the way that the songs sound, the interludes themselves lend itself to that style of things. It doesn't strike me as ambitious as Ammo, but I don't think many bands are as ambitious or have the ability to be as ambitious as Bring Me The Rise in any way. But I just sometimes I, I think the songs leave a little bit to desired in terms of either the melody or sometimes I think the scientific element of it is overbearing to the point where I lose connection with the songs themselves. That's my that's my criticism, though. That being said. That being said, the the vocalist here has a cracking voice. Some of the some of the lyrics are really powerful, really punchy. I can see this being a very impactful album for them moving forward. I can see this being a very effective album for what they're trying to do moving forward. They've got they've got sort of like a an Alexis on fire um, in 2019 sort of vibe, um, which I which I dig. Um, I think they're a very a very talented group, but I think at times the connection doesn't strike as well for me as it probably did for you. He's a bigger fan of alternative music in general. Um, but yeah, I just think sometimes the balance isn't, balance isn't quite right. But when this album, for me, when this album is good, it's great. I just don't think it gets it as often for me personally as it perhaps does for yourself. What I think is so great about this album is, for me, like I love the structuring. Um, there's a song called Low Life on this where the chorus is set up to literally perfectly match the techno beats underneath it that starts the song as well. 
uh, which I think was was really really cleverly done and carried off really well by uh, Michael McGough. And then you've got songs like Boy, which is like almost like hip hoppy um, rap delivered by Joel. And there's a variety in this album that manages to sit within the walls of being as an Irishman without seeming like a cringy uh, leap too far out of their comfort zone. And I think I'm so in love with this because I have heard where being as an Irishman have come from and they've literally turned their musical world upside down and have got arguably even better. I think that this new move forward, you would not have got songs like Skin, Brave or See Your Face, arguably, on previous albums by Being As An Ocean. And that's what makes this album so 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 great for me because it's been a completely musical shift and yet it's managed to precede its... Um, it's, it, it's managed to succeed, succeed its predecessors in a way that I just couldn't have predicted. Um, I think that this is an album that would be a perfect fit for people who just like rock music and like to hear something a little bit unusual and different. And it's really difficult to be unusual different in 2019 in uh, rock and metal, but here we are. They've managed to find their own little zenith, and I don't think I could compare many bands to being as an ocean now. Whereas there are a few post-hardcore bands that you could find links to, like potentially even King 810, you could find slight little variations that you could yeah, match together. Yeah, I agree there. You could match together. Whereas now, uh, being as an ocean are very much, in no pun intended, a sea of their own. And Ooh. this uh, this is an album that I think hits the marks everywhere it needs to. Uh, I think this is an album that gives Being an Ocean, As An Ocean their best chance to explode. Although I don't think that's what the need for this album was. I think their aim for this album... Uh, I spoke to Michael for uh, another publication. But their, their aim for this album was to just um, write down what was on paper during this creative hotspot. And this album would not have came out uh, four years ago for being as an ocean. They would just not have been thinking far enough ahead in their musical venture to have created this can kind I, of. Can adventure. I ask you? A, can I ask you a query? Sorry to have. Sorry to no, have no, go on. I was pretty that. much finishing up anyway. Go on. Um, as a fan of a big fan of both the two bands I'm about to mention, yeah. is there a part of you that really wishes that you, me, at Six and Death Fanner had gone in this direction? Um, well, yes, kind of, because I think. But I think you have to be really, really good to do this. And I'm not yeah. sure that Yumi 6 and Death of Arna are really good at anything other than what made them popular. For example, um, Yumi 6 got absolutely massive because they were brilliant at writing pop-punk songs. Then they went into Sinners Never Sleep, which for my, in my opinion was their absolute best album. That they were able to take... Mm. 50%, well, 60% of their pop-punk bounce and then add 40% of a mature edge to it. For example, uh, Bite My Tongue, which is one of the most revered songs. Um, and then you've got uh, Little Death, which is a massive rock song. And then you've got um, the song with Winston McCall, which Time, time Is Money, that's what it's called. And that was, that was their best album because they were able to take the pop-punk bounce that made them massive, that they were already great at, add a bit of maturity into it, and allow their... And, and basically getting two vocalists in Ollie and Winston that would be able to really uh, uplift the heaviness around them. And for Def of Honor, uh, they were brilliant at uh, basically being able to get the lead singer, whose name I usually know so well, but has fell out my head at the moment. He's got such an amazing voice, and for him to do these kind of solo, uh, emotive storytelling songs, and they've tried to do kind of what Being As Nation have done here, but I think Being As Nation have pulled it off much better, because uh, Death of Honor's latest album, Sinner, or that's, I think that's a song on it, but the name of the album just escapes me, kind of tries to do what this album does, take a kind of synth sci-fi rock, but I think this... Uh, Far out ways, uh, Death of Vinyl's last album. That's fair. Anything else you want to add? Um, I think I think the songs have real. I think, I think the songs have real great weight. I'm very impressed with it. I think it's a incredibly mature album. 
I will say that the 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 depth the, the depth of this is impressive, and I like the I like the direction that they've taken. I, I like I like this I like these sort of steps. I respect these sort of movements that artists make, and I think being the being as an ocean have have made have made the right have made the right step here. I, I it doesn't it's like a lot of things. It doesn't need to personally grip me and be something that I'm gonna blast on spotify every day for the rest of my life for me to respect it and know that it's gonna strike a chord with people that are fans of that particular music i I can i can see that it's going to be a successful step for them moving forward although i think their next album might be a better one i think i don't know i i feel like this might be a stepping stone for the way that they're moving and I think this is a good thing for them. It's a mature, it's an mature, impressive, well-structured record that, that a band has been brave enough to put together in spite of what they've done previously. And I, and I respect it greatly. I'm fully in love with this album. Uh, I'm much further in than you. That's fine. I, I, to be honest, I, I'm surprised you're as into it as you are. I thought you'd be a bit further, uh, more hardened against it. But I absolutely love this. Uh, absolutely fucking beautiful, brilliantly crafted really intelligent album by an absolutely wonderful band uh, being as an ocean proxy and an email story it's out on september the 13th so it's out this week by the time people hear this podcast beautiful beautiful album i am fucking in love with it so uh, that is actually it for this episode of the noise podcast uh, we will be back in two weeks <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of episodes uh, as of late a lot of episodes a lot of albums came out during the off time that we usually have but we're going to be back in two weeks going to be reviewing the new album from gideon which i'm quite excited about a really sick hardcore band that are actually going to be on tour in that uh, in uh, december supporting straight from the path and i will be there and i actually really like gideon uh, and I think that this album, I haven't listened to it yet, but I am excited that it could be a really special moment for them. They're a band that they used to be, uh, a Christian band, and they've actually wrote an album about turning against their faith, uh, which is going to be uh, particularly interesting to break apart. So, uh, yeah, that is going to be out in two weeks. In the meantime... Uh, if you could like us on, if you could like the video on YouTube and subscribe to us on YouTube, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash noise UK, and you can follow us on Twitter at noise UK. Uh, we will be back in two weeks' time. Thank you for all the support you've given us thus far. Can't believe we've now done 20 episodes. Crazy that ne- next episode is going to be episode 21. Thank you for being with us on the journey so far. We're going to be back in two weeks. We love you. Bye.